Huh. Everybody say hi to Joshua. Hi, Joshua. I am um, waiting to hear uh, from him. I think he's supposed to be, like we said earlier, August. He's looking at uh, July or August. So. All right, well, today uh, we are going to go through uh, Exodus 8. 20 through 32. Exodus 8, 20 through 32. Um, last week we had frogs and gnats. This week we have flies. It's very interesting. But let's pray first, because that's usually, it is the best way to start any lesson. All right. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for calling us, sanctifying us, and, and we look forward to Ultimately, you glorifying us and your Son. And we pray that that um, work that only your Spirit can do continues in us and draws us closer and presses us in to Christ and, and that we, we love Him not just with our minds as they're being renewed, but, but that it translates into right affections and right um, attitudes in our hearts toward not only you, but also to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we ask that you continue to do that work uh, in us, we ask for the wisdom of your Spirit to be upon us as we study this next section in Exodus, and we thank you for this time together. It's Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, all right, last week, let's just wrap it up. Let's do a little synopsis of the last of last time. Uh, we had frogs and gnats. What was the big thing we pulled from that last week? That frogs are demonic. That's that certainly. <laughs> Cassidy had that opinion. Uh, what what, uh, what what would we see in relation to the magicians? How they handled those two plagues? The frogs they caused more frogs to come up on the land, so they didn't help anything. But right. They emulated it. Right. And the gnats they could do nothing and did nothing. And did nothing. That's right. Uh, they could produce the frogs, but they couldn't produce the gnats. They identified the gnats as the finger of God. Mm-hmm. The presence of God there, Elohim, very general term again, but still recognizing a deity or divine power involved in the gnats because we can't touch this. Sorry, my mind just went to the song and it shouldn't have. Okay. Um, that's the one. That's the one. So the magicians here are, are, are inconsequential and Pharaoh shifts his tactics and that's what we're going to see today. He, he thinks maybe I can negotiate with this new God. That's, that's where he is today. So let's look at chapter 8, starting in verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, there was ru- the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, 
Go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not let the people go. All right. What do you see? How does this start out? What do we see? Something similar? At the beginning? What happens? What looks familiar at the beginning? Definitely where they go to find Pharaoh every time. Yeah, you down think? By the, down by the water. Down by the water. Down by the river to pray. Uh, what What is it that's interesting about that? What What Where Where is he going? Why is he there? Probably to worship the happy. He's there, presumably, continuing this ritual of of honoring the god of the Nile, Happy, Hoppy, whatever he says. But the point is, Happy's already been defeated and humiliated. Isn't that a, just an amazing sign of his hardness? I mean, it's like being in utter sin and reading Hebrews through your dinner. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible thing. Um, he, this, this go to the river, go meet him early in the morning, it's a repeat of, of chapter 715 that we saw at the beginning. And, and it, it is also kind of an indication that there, if you look at the plagues... There seems to be this series, this cycle of three plagues at a time to ultimately culminates in the tenth plague, which is the end. And here we see this repeat language kind of opening up a second cycle of plagues. And he says to, to Moses, present yourself to Pharaoh uh, in verse 20. Literally, it says, take your stand before Pharaoh. Take your stand before Pharaoh. What, what the verb here is used has a sense of holding one's ground, <laughs> holding your position. Why do you think God said it like that to Moses? Why do you think he would say it that way? What's going on here? Hold your ground. It's kind of a standoff. You know, it's, it's, if he holds his ground, then he's, he's not going to move. He's not going to waver. When, when Pharaoh says to do something, don't do it. It's like... Stop obeying him and obey me. I've already proven myself. Do you think God, I don't know, being God, anticipates where Pharaoh's going to go next? Anticipates. Anticipates. You know, he's, he's just, he's learning. Open theism kind of idea. He's, he's learning. He's getting better. Um, why, uh, let's see, what, what, is the, what is the carrot and stick here? Verse 21, he says, or else, let my people go that they may serve me, 
I love this. Or else. What's, what's, what's the or else? What's the new horror that's about to descend on Egypt? Flies. 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 What kind of fly? What, what are we talking about here? The, biting flies? They're biting flies. These are, they're commonly known as dog flies. Uh, maybe barn flies, stable flies. flies. Well, a little different. I looked it up because I wanted oh, okay. to see. And the horse flies are, a little, are larger. Right. Yeah. But they had the same idea. They bite you and they suck your blood. So it's kind of a, you know. Um, I, I wanted them to be horse flies because I wanted their faces to say, like in the Left Behind books, Apollyon, Apollyon. You know, kind of <laughs> um, so, but, that, but that wasn't what was going on there. It didn't really go for The 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 um they're they're big, they buzz, <laughs> they bite to suck your blood. They they this is this is the this is a threat here. This is a threat. Uh, it's it's this. Remember the swarms of frogs and 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 gnats. Now I'm bringing in. I mean, he knows what's coming. It's not like there's not a history to work off of here, or else this is happening. So this is it's 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 a, a direct confrontation with Pharaoh on on from a position of strength, really. His magicians can do nothing. And yet God tells Moses, hold your ground, stay firm. Um notice the threat is not only that the Egyptian houses are going to be filled with these biting flies, but they're not going to be able to step a step on the ground without a <laughs> there's just there's flies all over the ground. It's a cloud descending on the land of these biting flies. Think about that. I told you last week about the mosquitoes. I had a picnic with my uh, in-laws several years ago where we were outside, and they, they live near a pasture, and they have horses, and, and their cows on the other side over here. And We're outside with sandwiches and everything, and I spent the entire three hours with a fly swatter in my hand. And I mean, I must have killed it. A jillion of those things, and and they were, you know, it became a thing. They, <laughs> it was, it was fun. It's like two at a time, shka. It was great. But this, we're talking about, you can't step without killing them. We had some neighbors move in across the street, and they called like the health department on us or something because of all the flies from our farm, and we were like, we moved next to a dairy farm. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm trying, I'm kind of looking at the similarities between frogs, gnats, or mosquitoes, or whatever, and these flies. Mm-hmm. All of them um, kind of come from the ground. It's like mm-hmm. they, it's like when they're born, they appear out of nothing. You know, frogs come from tadpoles, but they're like already there, kind of in the water, and mm-hmm. they just hop up on the land. Sure. And, you know, gnats, and gnats spontaneously generate out of every banana I've ever owned. <laughs> And same with flies. Flies come out of meat and you know all that kind of thing. They lay eggs, and it's it's all of them like they're coming out of the ground. Well, this is even better. You're gonna love this because another another thought here is that they're not dog flies, but that they're scarabs. S C A R A B, which indicates an attack again on another deity, and I I forget the name of it, but it, it he. He's the body of a man and, a ho- and the face of a beetle kind of thing. And um, the scarab um, was, yes, that's who it was, Beetlejuice. No, the, the scarab was, was looked upon, or this god that had the, the beetle face, um, ha- was looked upon as the god of resurrection. Because, you know, they believed in Africa yeah. life, and they did the whole... 
And the reason that and you think about why would you think of a beetle as being resurrection? Well, a scarab is a dung beetle. They lay the larvae in the manure, and these these dung beetles just come out fully formed out of the manure. And so that yeah. they're viewed. So some scholars have said, well, maybe this is an attack on this god. Maybe it wasn't dog flies. Maybe it was a scarab. Whatever it was, it's a cloud descending on the land. And and that makes it even gross, even more gross than just squishing flies. You're now squishing beetles. And we had a bunch of those too. Did you? I don't doubt it. They're pretty loud when they fly around. They are. Yeah, we're we're seeing some of those in our pen. Kids are happy about it. Um, so, what's what's different with this one though? What's different? Uh, part of the land is spared. Part of the land is spared. Which which part? The land of Goshen. The land of Goshen. Now, that's interesting. This is the first time we've seen this. The first three three plagues were no distinction was made that we that we saw in the text. Some say it was going on, and and this is just first reference. Some say no, this is the first time he actually made that made that distinction. I tend to follow the latter because that's what he says. Um. There's no cloud on Goshen. And that the verb that's used there in verse 22, um, but on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarm of flies will, shall be there. But on that day I will set apart. That verb means to make distinct or separate. Uh, and, 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 and for what purpose? What purpose does he give, verse 23, for, for making this distinction? To divide. To divide. Between my people and your people. To put a division between my people and your people. Literally, the language should possibly be rendered, well, it should be. I will set a redemption between my people and your people. That's the language that's used. I will set a redemption between my people and your people. Um, One commentator I read said that the meaning seems to be that Yahweh will deliver his people from the plague and hand over Pharaoh's people to it. Now, isn't it the picture that we have again and again in redemption? There are uh, people that God that, that He calls and he, he He captures for Himself, basically redeems a people for Himself, and the rest He passes over, hands over. That's Romans one language, um, which brings to mind. I wonder if, if Paul had this in his head. As he was writing Romans one, you know they 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 worship the creature rather than the creator, and you see all of these gods who are attacked and being uh, uh, um, shown to be worthless by by God through the Egyptian onslaught here. Um, it, it's proving this: I'm creator; these are creatures. Why are you worshiping them? And 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 he's passing them over, handing them over to these plagues. Paul talks about handing them over to their depraved minds, to their lusts and those kinds of things, which lets us, kind of has the idea that those aren't what they're being judged for. That's the judgment. Right. You know, the, 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 thinking this way, having these disconnects, this hypocrisy in our lives where we put, you know, God we trust in a coin and yet, you know, slaughter our children in the womb, that's a disconnect. That's, that's not why we're being judged. That is the judgment, Right. And it just compounds the judgment. So, anyway. 
Um, notice also the timing. When was the last plague removed? Who called, who called for the last plague to be removed? Remember Moses saying to Pharaoh, glorify yourself over me. Remember him saying that, you know, to, you pick the time, I'll be kind of the Elijah, pour the water on the altar thing. And who does it here? Moses does, and and and, and it, it is a it is a again, you're not in control. It's a slapping of his authority. It's a slapping of his pride. Again, God is doing this, and in verse 12, 24 it says, "And the Lord did so." It's very short, very direct. He said it. He was going to do it. He brought it about, and great swarms came. The the language. Here is kind of a play on words. It, it uses that that same word in the Hebrew that, that that describes Pharaoh's heavy heart, his hardened heart. There's a heaviness. The the um, it's a satire. As Pharaoh's heart is heavy, so are these great swarms of scarabs or biting flies. They're also heavy. It's a display of God's sovereignty. It says the land is ruined or in the process of being destroyed. So, you're Pharaoh. You know your magicians are worthless. They've been you know, on your dole for who knows how long, and now they don't serve you at all. They're no good. Um, what do you do? What tactic do you take to deal with this oncoming onslaught threat of plague after plague after plague? The weight of it's got to be killing you. What does he do? Does it, who does he call? Does he call his magicians? No. He calls Moses and Aaron. What does he say? What does he, what does he, how does he approach this? He's, 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 he starts giving them a little bit of slack. A little bit of slack. Well, but how does he do it? It's like he gives in. He says, go sacrifice to your God. But that's what they originally asked for. Mm-hmm. Is, hey, can we go out and sacrifice to our God? Within the land, what's the problem with that? They're not going to. They're going to make the Egyptians aren't going to be too happy about. There's that. What's the other one? It's not God's country. That's not God's country. (laughs) God said for them to be released to the wilderness. Right? He said, "Go out three days, sacrifice to me, serve me there." This is a restriction, and it's tricky. It's a tricky restriction. Pharaoh still wants to be the top god and keep the Hebrews under his authority. He uses this generic term, Elohim, as it relates to the Hebrew god, still not giving you know, any kind of recognition or authority to Yahweh. But it's tricky what he does, and Moses brings it out. He catches it. What, what's the problem here? What's the problem here? If you sacrifice within the land... It's weird because he said that sac- the... Offerings to God would be an abomination to the Egyptians. It's funny that he even cares. It's like, well, yeah, it seems like he would, he would care more that God wouldn't want him to make sacrifices there, but he's more focused on why, why, why would he care, though? He's calling out Pharaoh. This is a trap. You will have your Egyptians stone our people for these sacrifices. Don't you think Pharaoh knows how his people react if they start sacrificing the bull, which is a symbol of Ra? 
they start sacrificing goats, which is a symbol of another god. Don't you think he knows how they will react? Go try killing a cow in the middle of India and see what happens. Uh, they'll stone them. They've got blasphemy laws in Egypt, right? And, and this is blasphemy to them. This is killing their god. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, there's there's no um, there's no true offer here. He's setting a trap, and Moses sees it. I just want to step aside here. And notice notice this. As I was reading through this this week, and and, and especially last night, um, the thing hit me. Earlier last night than normal, I just want to make a point. Um, the thing that hit me is that compromise is not repentance. Even in his compromise, he's still trying to maintain his authority over God's. And isn't that true for us, right? Okay, I'll, I'll read a few verses, but I want to hang on to this. Um... See, I know, the, I know the word says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So I'll meet with this group here, because it's got good music. I'll meet with this group here because the teaching's really good. But I don't want to open myself up to meaningful, local church accountability and, and, and the means of grace of sanctification. It's a compromise, but it's not really repentance. It's an odd thing to say this morning, isn't it? <laughs> I'll give you this much. I'll give you this much. Jesus, and no further. I'll give you this much and no further. Compromise is not repentance, nor, nor is it following Jesus. It's but, challenging him. But, but also, Pharaoh went from I am God to let's make a deal. Mm-hmm. Because he realized, okay, I can't beat this God, so now I've got to trick him. Well, it's kind of been a crescendo from day one. Like, the first one was just, uh, they turned the denial of blood, and then the, the magicians redid it, and then same thing with frogs, except it was kind of more of an attack on a specific god. And then the magicians did it, and then gnats, and the magicians couldn't do it. And then this one, it's just kind of been like growing. The pharaohs just slowly realizing, like, wait a minute, these guys are different. I can't beat him on magic. Maybe I can beat him on on the uh, subtlety and wit. It all kind of grows to the fullness of the template. That's right. But I like that Moses calls him a liar. Okay, don't you lie like you did the last time. <laughs> That's right. Um, Pharaoh begins to concede a little bit. He does say sacrifice within the land. But what's God's response? Or Moses' response? We must go three days out of the wilderness. As the Lord our God knows. And what is he doing? He's standing firm. He's standing firm. He doesn't compromise. God's not going to compromise. God's not in the negotiating business. We're going to go three days out. Just like God said in in Exodus 3.18, the original foray into this. And so Pharaoh, wanting to save face, says in verse 28... I will let you go to sacrifice the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only, you must not go very far away. The language actually says, I, I will let you go. He's still playing at this sovereign idea that he's still in in control. 
And he emphasizes his majesty and imposes his will. Don't go too far. But he says something very odd. By the way, pray for me. Does that seem odd? By the way, plead for me. Pray for me. There is no God and I hate him. Um, what, what, what is it, uh, what is it in, in verse 29 that Moses says? You brought it out a little bit earlier. Verse 29. What does Moses accuse Pharaoh of? It's very interesting. The language used there. Only let, Pharaoh, only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting his people... Don't cheat again. Don't, uh, the, the rendering of the verb, to, don't mock or deceive or act the part of a liar again. This is Moses in all of his shepherd regalia in the, in the, in the court of Pharaoh. Shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. And saying, pointing his prophet crooked 80-year-old finger at Pharaoh saying, Don't cheat again. Now, why should that bother an Egyptian? To the Egyptian, that's the tail wagging the dog. What is Pharaoh? He's the standard of truth and justice in the land. And it's also right after Moses says, Behold, I'm going out from you. I'm getting away from you. Right. Right. He doesn't do this big thing in front of Pharaoh for Pharaoh's... uh, uh, appeasement. He does it alone uh, with God. Again, as we saw last time. Um, Pharaoh's supposed to be the standard of justice and truth to the Egyptians. Maybe it was only when he spoke from the chair. I don't know. Anyway, Moses sees through it. He sees through it and, and, and calls him out on it. What, what, happens, uh, what happens to the flies whenever, whenever Moses does plead? They go away and I remember it's not like they just all die and stay there and stink. They go away. There's not a fly in the land. Yeah. There's not a fly body. There's not a fly. They all go away. There, there's not a progressive reduction in number. Uh, there's not, uh, look, we just sent a bunch of birds that come and eat all these beetles or flies or whatever they are. They're just gone. Isn't it amazing that every plague is a miracle in its beginning and a miracle in its ending? Um, and it says this, this, this phrase here in 30 and 31, God did according to the word of Moses. He has, he has, he has allowed Moses to, to be the one, the, 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 the visible sign of his authority on earth in front of Pharaoh. God did according to the word of Moses. Not one fly remained. Um... And then we see, verse 32, the old refrain. What is it? Pharaoh hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. Um, Kabed, again, like the cloud that descended, he, he also is, is hardened. One of the things that we see um, in this that, that's really brought out is the, the idea of election here. Um, there, there is a distinction made between Goshen and the rest of Egypt. It's a, it's a very clear uh, 
indication of God's sovereignty and his power that you can have a cloud of insects descend on one part of the land and then right up to the border and there's no other I mean that's a cool that's a cool thing people on the border are like sticking their head in the ocean to get threatened <laughs> <laughs> if I could just step on the grass um, but, but think how important it was to the Jews because this is the first time that they saw God really intervene on their behalf because before it didn't look like anything was going their way right so this is really the first significant sign Hey, God is... And think, too, for, for the, I don't know, 200, 300 years in which they were enslaved, 400 years in Egypt, but there's probably, some of that was during the time of Joseph and, and some carryover, but um, they, they may have worshipped Yahweh, but didn't really believe that he was more powerful than the Egyptian gods because they're enslaved. Right. Where's the promise of his coming? Um, all things continue. Um, so you have this... this this great display of his care of, uh, and mercy for his people in this plague that begins to show them, not only has he been powerful, he's been doing this to all of us, but now he's able to protect us too. Why, why did he make that distinction? What does it say in the text? Why did he make that distinction? To divide your people, my people and your people. That what? That they may know that I am the Lord in the land. In the land. But what do you do when you divide? You call out. Right. There's a the reason you divide something is because you're going to do something different with, with that other. Here and no further is what he says to the flies because he's going to do a work in, um, in, in, in Goshen. Yeah. One other point kind of to the other point about where all the flies and gnats and frogs come from. At the end of verse 22 it says um, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to read too much into that, but in the midst of the earth, it says to me, I'm God over the ground. I'm not this filial, spiritual, you know, God way out here that can only affect certain things. But your gods, you, you believe there's gods in the ground and of the earth. Mm-hmm. No, I'm the God in the midst of the earth. Mm-hmm. And all these, all these things that you worship that come out of the ground from these gods that portray that or whatever, reading into this maybe sure. too much, but... So that so that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Yeah, it, it's I'm present. I'm I'm here. I'm not a god of your imagination. And not only not only that, but there's no. It's not like I'm the god of this section, like mm-hmm. the river or the clouds. I'm the god of the earth. I've defeated your your gods of the earth. He, it's I, I get the sense that he's moving through all their their gods mm-hmm. in their territory right. and defeating them. And so I'm guessing he's defeating whatever gods they believe to be in the ground. What does the psalmist say? Where can I go to escape your presence? Can I go if I go to the highest of highs? I'm not you know if I go down to yeah. Sheol, you're there. Um, there's that there's that feel. You're right to that in the midst of the earth and in, 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 in the the Lord in the land would be the. Little there is is that whole idea. He's he's present. He's not just transcendent, ethereal. You can imagine me however you want. I'm showing you who I am. He's he's leaving no question in Pharaoh's mind if God is a God, just another God that he needs to worship along with the God of the earth and the Nile and the harvest and all that stuff, but that he's God over all. And notice that his distinction being made too, it's not some fatalistic you know, thing. It's not a m- mechanical thing. 
it's a very personal thing that you may know that I am the Lord. Um, this whole idea, and this is kind of that we see more of a, we saw it with Abraham and, and Isaac and, and, and Jacob, but you see it on a larger scale here with the people of Israel, the children of Israel, the, 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 the seed form of election being grown, grown a little bit more here and on a national people level. Um, it's not fatalistic. And, and it's not for us either. It's not for the church today either. If you, if you look at the, the verses that talk about God's making a distinction between his people and the people of the world, he does it in terms of, like Ephesians 1, 5, in love he predestined us for... I mean, the, the great force does not love. Impersonal fate does not love. It's a person. God is a person. He's doing this purposeful. It's personal, purposeful, and should not be a, and should be a problem for our our pride. Why does he do it? Thank you, thank you, Tammy. Help me. Um, why does he do it this way? Why does he do it? Why does he call out? Why does he just you know show his indiscriminate love to everyone and say that? Why does he? What is the scripture? What do we know about election? First glory, always a good answer in a Reformed Baptist church. Yes. You can, by showing the two different sides, it draws more purpose. It shows, I, I hate to say shows more love, but it does actually show more love when you have a contrast. You're seeing this with Philip in Isaiah. The horror of judgment that is told there, and then you see a transition into the, the, the miracle of mercy that is shown. And, and saving a remnant, of, of, of calling them out, of protecting them, of loving them, it's in stark contrast to the, the horror of the judgment that we see. And we see that here. This is, you know, we laugh about the flies. And they could have been beetles. I mean, frogs are bad. Gnats are bad. But come on. Flies are hideous. Flies are just awful. And, and, and it's an increasing thing. Look at it. Look at we get we get some sense of why this is the case. Why God makes these, this, this distinction between His people and the people of the world. Why does He elect? Why does He do this? Let's go to Ephesians two seven. What does it say, um, Ty? What is Ephesians two seven? Just off the top of your head. What? what? <laughs> Notice I'm turning my pages to look it up as well. All right, um, two seven. Well, no, so let's just start back in 4, because I just like that verse. You know, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 talks about how we're dead in trespasses, by nature children of wrath. I love the way that four, verse 4 starts. One of my favorite two words in all of Scripture, but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Again, personal. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? What's the purpose of it all? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He wants to display another facet of himself that, that has not been shown, that has not been Displayed. I mean, we know he judges. He judged the third of the angels that fell. Was there was no mercy there? They're judged, waiting, held for. 
you know, Peter talks about in gloomy darkness waiting for the day of judgment. We, we understand his judgment. We see his judgment here in Egypt. But what's this, I'm going to set a redemption between my people and yours? I mean, think about it. Okay, well, I swung to dead things. And here you just read, they were dead in their trespasses. Yeah. So we literally have flies swarming to the dead people in their trespasses. Yeah. But if they're scarabs, you, know, you can take that another way. The flies swarm to the poop. And, and you, don't, you know, so you want to be careful about how you go with that. And, and so, all right. The, either way, it's not good. The stench of death. Some of the fragrance of Christ, life to life, death to death. Okay, I got you. Um, all right, look, look. Uh, in First in, in Peter two nine, we, we've gone over this before, but I want, I want you to show this. I want you to see this. This distinction that he makes. Why does he make it? Uh, nine says, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that or that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light." I keep going back to these two verses in this whole Exodus thing. Because to me, it, it, it draws out the phenomenal reality of, of God's freedom and election. I, I, never, I never want us to have that purpose too far behind. It's not just so we can sit back and go, yay me. You know, yay, I'm... Uh, Seinfeld, I don't know if you've ever seen Seinfeld. Do y'all ever watch... You know, do you know the Seinfeld? It, it, there's this one episode where there's... Where, you know, you talk about contradiction. Uh, uh, Elaine is, is living with this guy, and Putty. And he's a, he's a, he's a Christian, supposedly. She finds out he's a Christian. Yeah, that's right. And he never, yeah, that works well, doesn't it? And so, um, and so, so she, uh, she, she finds out, and she's, he's never tried to proselytize me. And I love the way they use that word, proselytize. Never tried to proselytize me. Doesn't he care? You know? And he finally, at the very end of the, the, the episode, she confronts him on it. You never, you know, you never tried to proselytize me. And he says, well, I'm not the one going to hell. That's his response. <laughs> and, and, and the, the Christian carpet cleaners that they were all upset about, and George was like, I'm going to have them over to clean my carpet and see what they do. And they didn't do anything, and he got all upset about it after they were just making fun of them for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that uh, the apostles, when, when I read about this election language in the New Testament, the apostles don't stray too far from the why. We're called, but we're called to a purpose, to display the glories of Christ. Called us out of darkness into the... Certainly. And, well, Ephesians 3, 9, 3, whatever. Certainly. And, well, I'll, I'll read 8. To me, though, on the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the encircled virtues of Christ. And, then I, and, bring forth, and to bring the light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold belief of God might be might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So, like, he's using us to make known the, even to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this was according to the eternal purpose that we have realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And here we have boldness back to the Thompson's faith. And Peter does a similar thing. He pulls out election and then goes into, in, in chapter 2, uh, he goes to this great thing in, in verse 9. He says in verse 10, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Woohoo for us. Yay for us. But then he goes on. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh 
which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Well, what does that say? What, what's visitation? What's the day he's talking about? Well, it's what Philip's been talking about in Isaiah. It's the, the day of the Lord. The, the judgment that's coming. Why would those condemned glorify God on the day of his visitation because of what you've done? That's a strange mystery. Well, is it? Is God a righteous judge? I think the idea here is that there will no one, be, be no one standing on the precipice of hell looking down saying, I don't deserve this. I think that's what he's saying. Because look what he has done in these people, these separate and distinct people that I have not. Nor will there be an atheist in hell. Well, or an agnostic. Um, Romans chapter 9, the infamous yeah, chapter. I think we're in safe company. <laughs> in verse 17 it says, uh, For scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So, here we are talking about election mm-hmm. and how God chooses some for this purpose and some for other purposes. And in Romans 9, specifically talking about election, it's it's referencing Pharaoh, how Pharaoh was raised up for this very purpose. Reprobation. Yeah. To show a contrast, a difference between. He raised him up for that purpose. Yeah. It's almost like there's a, there's a picture greater than my life. God's you think? <laughs> Ty has had a breakthrough. The picture greater than my life. We are. Uh, if you if you take Job seriously, and I think you should, we're Exhibit A. Have you considered my servant Rachel? And she's set up for some kind of trauma, and yet how she responds in grace and 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 mercy and kindness is a display of something that just ain't natural. It's God's work, right? Now, does that not put a little pressure to think through how we react to things? And doesn't that cause us to be humble and seek the cross when we react poorly? Uh, Have you considered my servant Kevin? Hey, let's consider him again over here. (laughs) I mean, that that's God's. Yeah, it's coming. I'm working in it. But but it's not. But it's His work in us that continues. Because even Job, you know, had this despair thing happening that was not godly. And to even show the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, not just for the earth to see, but right. the spiritual forces. To right. See. This we're we're caught up in a divine drama here, individually and corporately. You know, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And this is going to be my where I did the big guilt pitch for May 25th, but since you guys are all pretty much accounted for. Um, but yeah, that's that's the thing. That's the exhibit. I, I know, out of towners. This, this side is the righteous. This is the righteous. This is, I set a redemption right here on the middle row. Um, very good. All right. Well, we're, we're, running, we're running long, uh, so I probably need to wrap it up. So that that, that is... <laughs> there is a sense, I mean, there is a sense in which 
Our holiness adorns the gospel. That whole preach the gospel, use words if necessary, that's hogwash. What's the, what's the context in which you do it? I mean, Muslims give money to the poor. Um, an atheist will, will paint somebody's house. Why are we doing it? And are we doing it consistently? Yeah. Um, Romans 9, 22 and 23 says that, it says in 22, that God basically makes um, some vessels for wrath, you know, for mm -hmm. that. But then he says in 23, this is why he made vessels of honor for honorable use, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the reason why he, he does it, is for his own purpose, mm -hmm. for his own glory, to show the contrast some vessels for dishonorable use, mm -hmm. some for honorable use, so that the ones that are honorable use can show his glory. He says it right here. And how and what is honorable use? It's funny how we put we define that a certain way and Christ defines it another. Honorable use is not uh, it, it, it's talking about he's he's relating it to yeah, it's sorry. He's relating it to um, the, the temple architecture he's relating it to the temple architecture uh, and, and, the, and the vessels that are used in the temple that are set apart that are for sanctification and some of those are not pleasant tasks bowls that catch blood the remains of animals to be taken out and those kinds of things it's a service oriented thing I can't wait to get there when we get past the plexus. we'll get through the some of the temple stuff but but that's we, we think of it as, you know, up here, Jesus washes feet and is a, a, a servant set apart for holy use. Um, all right. Anyway, that, that's, the distinctions are there, and, it, and it's an amazing thing, the picture that we see here. So next week uh, should be, uh, again, we'll see more, more of that. More of that. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for... Um, for, for your mercy, uh, for your grace. Um, I pray for affections that are uh, consistent with the, the lavish of love that you have given to us in, in Christ. And as we go into the main service, we pray that we love him more and are convicted from uh, the times that we have stony, hard hearts that are not um, overwhelmed by your grace. And so we we ask for you to incline our hearts toward repentance. We ask that you incline our hearts toward loving you and each other rightly. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.